a factual data creation facility production. Welcome to the Straight from the Desk podcast, a podcast where I discuss but three things. Two are topical, while the last can be considered as flexible. So sit back and enjoy. If you like what you hear, click on that donation link, which can be found within the show notes. Any donation will be appreciated. So let's get started. I hope this finds you well. I'm a little early this week due to some pressing personal issues. First up, the Republic of the Philippines has granted the U.S. military greater access to the country's military facilities. That's according to reports from Reuters and other sources. This is in response to Communist China's further aggression in the misnamed South China Sea. The Chinese Communist Party claims sovereignty over the whole area and has built man-made islands throughout, promising no military intentions before building them. Of course, like all previous promises and assurances from the communists, this wasn't true as military sea vessels and combat aircraft are stationed on or around these islands. The United States used to have many bases in the Philippines, including the massive Clark Air Base and Subic Bay Naval Air Station. The bases were all closed in the early 1990s after the eruption of Mount Pinatubo, which pretty much destroyed Clark Air Base. The decision to close the bases was finalized after the communist-influenced government of Corazon Aquino, a very unpopular president, demanded that the United States pay off the Philippines' foreign debt, along with an exorbitant amount of lease money to be paid yearly. Many would disagree with me calling the Aquino administration unpopular, but I have the advantage of being on the ground in the Philippines at the time. I was stationed there from August of 1987 until September of 1989. When Ferdinand Marcos was chased out of office via a coup, there was a lot of hope amongst the Filipino people for a better, corruption-free future. By the end of the first year of Aquino's presidency, those hopes were unfortunately dashed. Prices for basic needs skyrocketed. The Muslim and communist insurgencies expanded. Thanks in part to Aquino branding them criminals instead of terrorists and prosecuting them as such. With an underfunded Philippine army, bearing the brunt of the casualties fighting them, while the police constabulary, the private army of the government, established after the overthrow of Marcos, paraded around in brand new uniforms and weapons and could be found everywhere but in a combat zone, unless the Marxist New People's Army needed more weapons and would ambush them. This all led to the Philippine army staging a coup attempt on August 28, 1987. President George Bush authorized the U.S. Air Force at Clark to fly cover for the Loyalists, which ended the almost successful coup. The Filipinos I knew and talked to at the time were quite angry at this. The justification given for this intervention by the Bush administration was that the rebels were attempting to overthrow a democratically elected government. Well, there's only one thing wrong with that justification. Ms. Aquino was not elected. She herself was put in office by an army-led coup, led by some of the same people who are now trying to overthrow her. The point I'm attempting to make here is, if the United States hadn't intervened in the 1987 coup attempt on the side of Aquino, the U.S. bases would have remained in some shape or form, and we wouldn't be scrambling to establish ourselves in the South China Sea to counter communist China, as we are now. Next, a faded celebrity that almost no one wanted to see come back is, unfortunately, again seeking the spotlight. 
If you follow entertainment news, or perhaps even if you don't, you've been bombarded by the media with interviews with this traitorous actress where she spews her leftist communist opinions just like she had in the 1970s. Of course, I'm talking about the odious old fossil Jane Fonda, better known in her day as Hanoi Jane, famous, or should I say infamous, for her visit to communist North Vietnam, which this country was at war with at the time, where she posed for a propaganda photograph wearing a People's Army of Vietnam pith helmet and sighting in an anti-aircraft weapon used to shoot down U.S. aircrafts, amongst other things over there. Though called out numerous times for this over the years, she has remained unapologetic. That's because, like her famous actor father, Henry Fonda, before her, she's a communist. The occasion for this comeback is perhaps twofold. Recently, Hanoi Jane has been diagnosed with cancer, lymphoma to be exact, and the prognosis can't be good for the 85-year-old. The second reason is the release of the movie 80 for Brady, in which she stars with other older female actors who, in my opinion, are held in much higher regard than Ms. Fonda. So, we may be looking at this traitor's last hurrah. Judging by the reception she's receiving from the public, she has not been forgiven, nor should she be. We still remember your traitorous acts, Hanoi Jane, and you will receive no sympathy or the final adulation you seem to be craving. I believe your greatest contribution to this country has been giving those old Vietnam War vets the will to outlive you so they can desecrate your final resting place. Finally, there was a small news article that unless you're from or are familiar with the area concerned, you probably wouldn't have read past the headline. The headline read, Dolphins spotted in the Bronx River or some slight variation of that. The article featured a short video, obviously taken from a cell phone, of a couple of dolphins, actually porpoises, frolicking in the water next to high-rise apartment buildings located in the Bronx, New York. The article quotes the New York Parks Department saying that this event is no mystery as the department has been stocking the river with fish yearly for some time now and animals will go where the food is. This article struck a chord with me as I spent most of my childhood in the East Bronx and a lot of the springs and summers poking around the Bronx River. I can tell you there certainly weren't any bottlenose dolphins back then in the river, at least my part of it. Back in those long ago days, there were still industries that used the river. One that comes to mind was the Eastern Rolling Mills, which my father worked at for many years before going to work for the NYPD. The only wildlife that my friends and I would encounter in the river were huge brown rats that were so aggressive that they would attack you. The only fish that we can see that lived in the waters were carp, and they were the descendants of goldfish people had as pets and, when tiring of them, threw them into the river. In fact, every once in a while, you'd see a goldfish swimming in the river. How any of those fish survived was a wonder, not just from the pollution, but from the many alligator snapping turtles that were the number one predator in those waters. Back then, ducks and geese would stop off during their annual migrations, and if you hung out long enough, you would see the turtles feed on them. Alone one summer, I got the bright idea of trying to catch one of those carps for some reason. So armed with a mere butterfly net, I lowered myself down from the banks of the Bronx River to an outcropping of rocks for my attempt. The flow of the river was streaming towards me, and while waiting for my quarry, I saw bloody fish parts floating atop the water and wondered what was causing this phenomenon. Eventually, out of the corner of one of my eyes, I caught a shadowy figure moving towards me in the water. It was a huge alligator snapping turtle, and it moved quickly in front of me. Well, young me being naive, well, more like stupid, 
attempted to catch the mighty turtle with my five and ten store butterfly net. As you can imagine, the result wasn't as I expected, with the turtle, now pissed, making short work of my net, destroying it with one mighty snap, and then joining me on the rock outcrop that I thought was a safe haven a minute ago. Eyeing me with his beady eyes, the beast extended its neck and hissed at me. Now, I might have been young and stupid, but the fight-or-flight instinct in me kicked in and made the correct decision to get the heck out of there, which I did, moving faster than I thought I could, not even attempting to look back, fearing that the armored predator would be snapping at my heels. I ran until I exited the park and reached civilization, which in this case was row houses that were built adjacent to the park. Later that night, at the dinner table, I relayed the story of my daring do. My mother responded with a, that's nice, Jimmy, and my father had no reaction, as usual. Thinking back on the whole event, I now realize that the turtle was close enough to have bitten me or perhaps even kill me. Witnessing the fish pieces before my encounter probably meant that the turtle wasn't hungry at that moment, and that's what saved me. Alligator snapping turtles live about 50 years, but some can live as long as 125 years. You know, sometimes I wonder if that mean old turtle is still prowling those waters. As far as the dolphins go, I'd advise them to be very wary of dark shadowy figures within those waters, approaching them quickly. That will do it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. You can send comments, suggestions, or complaints to sftdpod23 at gmail.com. I'll see you next time. Take care.